0: Greetings, dear listeners, this is another exciting edition of the Remnant pod- Podcast, brought to you by Dispatch Media and The Dispatch. You can go to thedispatch.com for all your dispatchy goodness and whatnot. Uh, sign up for free newsletters, sign up for the g File. sign up for uh, the French press, um, and sign up uh, because you want to make the world a somewhat less crappy place. So, uh, it's the new year, and um, as promised, we are getting... We are moving a little bit out of the the intensely wonky weeds that some of you have known to love about the remnant and talking to actual real human beings that the people have heard of. And so um, uh, today we are actually in the belly of the beast at CNN (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, with Jake Tapper. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, And good luck and congratulations on everything. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, For listeners who don't know, Jake is the host. Of the lead on CNN and the Sunday show and which is State of the Union State of the Union and um, the author of several uh, great books uh, and he's very 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 old. I was looking at his <laughs> Wikipedia page a few minutes before we started and it turns out you were born nine days before me. Is that right? Yeah <laughs> so you're which, but it's the difference between Pisces and Aries, I'm guessing. That's right. I actually kept my mom in labor for like 15 hours so I could be an Aries. <laughs> um, I was right on the cusp. She's never forgiven me. Um, I was also born on March 21st, which was, for most of our lives, the first day of spring. Yeah. But it's not anymore. It won't... It, because of the the... Tilt of the planet, or the Jews, or something, mess things up. It's now uh, March 20th, and won't be the 21st again until the year 2100.
1: Do you? I remember. Um, I don't know if you had this growing up, but some my parents had the, the po- a poster of the front page of the New York Times from my birthday uh-huh. on the day of my birth and there was a picture of Ted Kennedy involving Chappaquiddick so um, I for a long time I associated Chappaquiddick with my birthday even though actually it happened before
0: yeah but, but. it's funny you mentioned mention that uh, for uh, Christmas Hanukkah or whatever uh, my wife got me this New York Times thing which is uh, 50 years of the book of 50 years of front pages of the New York Times mm-hmm. on my birthday and oh, is that right Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and it's actually a pretty neat product. I'm just trying to remember, because I mean, I was, I was so drunk when she gave it to me, uh, <laughs> what the thing for my birthday was, but um, I'll probably, I'll fill that in at the, in the post-show notes. Um, so anyway, I have, as you can see, I have no plan, no paperwork in front of me to ask you scintillating questions, but um, uh, we are vaguely connected Mm-hmm. Um, In so as we are both Gen Xers, right? Both we, Gen X. And you sort of popped up on the call it national radar a little bit because you wrote that piece for City Paper for the yeah. City Paper about dating Monica Lewinsky, going on one date with yeah, Monica I, 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 fair <laughs> enough. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Before the scandal broke, yeah, and uh, and you kind of
1: and your family popped up around that time as well. As okay. well, yeah,
0: and um, one of you know one of my. It's not a problem anymore, but for years one of my abiding gri- gripes was that people thought I didn't exist prior to like <laughs> right. them hearing of me. But um, but I don't. We really we knew a lot of the same people back in the 90s, but we yeah. we never really hung out. And you were back. You got your start at Salon, right? Well, City Paper first, right. Washington City Paper under
1: David Carr, and then uh, Salon, which was very different then as it, yeah. you know uh, than it is now. It was at the time it had. Um it published conservative writers, liberal yeah. writers, everyone. Um,
0: I mean, it was center-left, but it was interesting.
1: Yeah, I and mean, Matt Labash wrote for it, and yeah. uh, I think Chris Caldwell, David Brooks, et cetera, et cetera. But it was different, and I was a reporter, not yeah. an opinion guy. It was, I was just, uh, for me, it was unbelievable because it was... Um, well, first of all, let me just say, in terms of of our shared tenuous connection to the, to the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, um, both of us, I think, have worked hard uh, so that uh, the, that tenuous connection is now like, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to the very first thing people f- say about you. Right. Which right. I'm sure in your case was annoying and in my case, even though I wrote the story annoying. Yeah. Um, but in any case, when I started Salon, it was fascinating because, first of all, there was a lot of tech startup money. Um, and second of all, uh, media organizations did not take the web seriously. Yeah. Like the Washington Post, the New York Times, everybody was updating their website once a day. Yeah. So... I got an, to a degree, unearned uh, reputation for breaking stories because Salon would publish immediately. Right. And right. it was a just right place, right time, fantastic opportunity.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny. And, and that, that's a big part of my sort of origin story, too, in that I was the founding editor of National Review Online. Right. And National Review was always this staid, uh, bi weekly, fortnightly, we can never come up with the right term for it <laughs> um, publication. and the fact that we all of a sudden had this daily thing that would pu- publish stuff in the morning and then in the afternoon we leapt sort of several orders of magnitude in the news cycle or actually relevant to like ish things right. um, and uh, i remember our first scoop was i don't know if you remember this but there was a, it was a big deal in my world um, big scandal at hillsdale college the president there did bad things with with females yeah and the Weekly Standard was working on it, and John Miller at National Review is working on it, and The Weekly Standard, which didn't take the web seriously either, had to wait for their production schedule for Friday oh to publish my. and we ran with it on a Wednesday and we got all his attention and it was this wild thing for us to actually scoop anybody about anything. That's so, great.
1: Yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly, I mean, people like you and me could 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 thrive uh, because of uh, just the immediacy because of the people who understood that there were people reading online uh, right. that moment and did not want to wait until the next day or, or, or forthwith or whenever the National Review magazine. (laughs)
0: Um, So, uh, speaking of the 90s, um, simpler time. Yeah, um, we didn't think so at the time. No, it seemed very intense and complicated and fast-moving, but now it looks, we look back on it it's like Little House on the Prairie or something. It's funny, because uh, just yesterday, I was referencing, um, you know, we're having this
1: debate about the War Powers Act because mm-hmm. of President Trump and Iran, and I remember I, I did a long interview with uh, Congressman Tom Campbell, uh, who was pushing for a War, Hour, War Powers Act move on President Clinton when it came to the Balkans. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think a lot of a lot of people think, a lot of younger journalists think history started uh, January 2017. Yeah. If they're slightly older, they think it started with Obama. Uh, but there is uh, there is a lot of you know a lot of these debates have been going on for a long
0: long time. Um. So. You probably remember Tom Campbell. I do indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So it was funny. I was talking about the the Clinton stuff with somebody recently. Um. Oh, we are talking about the Slow Burn podcast, which did which the... Which is so good. Yeah, which did the Clinton Season thing. three is really good, too, also, if you're listening. It's about Biggie and Tupac. Yeah, and I, I'm deeply invested in, in
1: <laughs> th- those issues. You don't have to be. You don't have to be to enjoy it. Let me tell yeah. you something. You don't have to be to enjoy it. It's like, it's educating, right? Yeah. I mean, and the, there's a whole episode about C. Dolores Tucker uh-huh. and her crusade against misogyny and rap lyrics. It's really interesting. It's really huh. well done. But, I mean, they, you know, they, they did something completely different uh, instead of just, like, trying to replicate uh you know um the first two seasons they're they're to... yeah. anyway, no, no
0: I, I but the, it, but yeah that's so I'm good. intrigued but yeah. I'm, I haven't listened to it yet but it's funny cuz like the 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 amount of like so when I came to Washington in the early 90s it was um Sort of this high water mark for feminists in Washington mm-hmm. in, our, in policy making, where the Clarence, the Anita Hill stuff was galvanizing. Clarence Thomas was galvanizing. Yeah. Bob Packwood, greatest porn name ever um, for a senator, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, uh, don't forget the congressman Dick Sweat though. Dick Sweat was fantastic. I was this house. Uh, someone once asked him uh, why, why he did never you go just, by Richard. Yeah, and his answer was, "Everyone remembers my name," uh, <laughs> which is true. horrible, you know? horrible reasoning. <laughs> yeah, and um, and, those, and since we're into this juvenilia, there was also the. Um, uh, Cox-Dix Commission um, into uh, the uh, Chinese uh, missile program or North Korean missile program or something like. That. But anyway, um, do you remember the Nay Delay Doolittle Commission? I do not remember.
1: There that. was or legislation. There was something. I forget what it was, but it was like
0: definitely like um, bad novelist a, a thing at the time. <laughs> um, nay Delay Doolittle do um, uh, sounds like a good summary of certain brands of conservatism. Yeah, um, but and. So much of that, I mean, there's that scene in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise is like, You're making me feel like Clarence Thomas. I don't feel, you know, there, there's this moment where it seemed like Fennessy won this battle, this sort of pre Me Too battle me, kind of thing. And then it all went away because of Bill Clinton, and everything had to be bent to. Clintonism, right? To excuse his, to excuse private his behavior, and behavior and all kind of stuff. You
1: know, it's funny you bring this up because I, I was thinking about this the other day, because because we're going through the same exact debate right now about um, white evangelicals and and Donald Trump, mm-hmm. which is how can you ignore so much of his of what he does and right. it's not just in his private life but also just the lying, et cetera, um, and the, the false witness. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but but. And, and and we've heard the arguments before. It's because they like what he does legislatively, right? And I'm not comparing white evangelicals with feminists, but it's a lot of the same arguments.
0: No, it's, it's, it's I was sort of wanted to get there because it's it's funny. I mean, I, I'm more and more as I am. Um more politically homeless but ideologically grounded. I'm much more willing to recognize that the jerseys may be different colors and the labels may be different, but the anatomy of these arguments on left and right are a lot more similar than than I once appreciated. And there's a puritanical strain in American life. I I don't say that as a pejorative thing because there's some things in puritanism I kind of like, but feminism was one version of it. You know, sort of wokeness is one version of it, sort of moral hygiene is part of it. And the evangelical Christian stuff is one part of it, and both sides seem to have are replaying the same sort of switching jerseys to defend a president. I mean, that, my point is, does it feel? Do you ever step back and feel like it's a little more deja vu than than you might have thought?
1: Sometimes. I mean, it, it, I, th- I think that there is a. I mean, you 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 can't. There are comparisons. There are similarities. You know, obviously, one can make the argument that uh Bill Clinton's behavior while reprehensible was his personal behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that he's allowed to commit perjury right. or suborn perjury, etc. But but uh there and, and also, I mean, what I think a lot of people forget, especially Democrats pushing back against the idea that there's any similarity is this all started because Bill Clinton was accused of sexually harassing a state employee, right? Paula Jones. I mean, that's that's the case. And Kathleen Willey was also a White House employee. Um, and then there's the whole Juanita Broderick thing. Right. So I mean, there there are actual allegations there. But I, I mean, I get it's so con- there are similarities, but there are real differences. And and a lot of times I just see people just trying to excuse behavior for their team, for their teammates.
0: Yeah, well, that's sort of part of my point, is yeah. that everyone, it's some, it's it's grab the nearest weapon to hand stuff. I mean, and so part of the thing that drives me crazy, and I wonder how you deal with it, is that you have, um, everyone's just, mm-hmm. Beaten the heck out of Schumer for changing his position on impeachment when McConnell did the exact same when thing. McConnell, it's a, and the part of the problem that I have is that everybody who points out everybody else's hypocrisy is correct. Yeah, when they are hypocritical for pointing it out because they've changed their positions too, right? Yeah. If if you know the, the well, that's why the only solution is
1: to as a journalist is to point them both out. Right, which you do, oh. uh, and I read uh, you. You know, I, I read uh, G. File and and uh, David French does, and I try to do. I mean, the only solution is to say, look at all this, which, but it's also, that's why it's amazing when you see, and I don't, I don't, I don't, the truth is I don't go home and watch the news, I don't either but really. when I see, um, uh, you know, people who, whose job it is, is to, to watch Fox, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you see a Chiron of Laura Ingraham uh, talking about like liberal Children cashing in, and there's a picture of Hunter Biden and Chelsea Clinton and the and uh, the royals. Um, and you're like, how on earth can you? I mean, how do you do that and not mention Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka? Right. I, I mean, how do no. you do that? Like, I don't even, I don't even understand the how how anyone would have the mental capacity to do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And like, you can't even just say. I mean, it's like either it's all gross or it's none of it's gross, and I, I don't I can't comprehend it. Is yep. really the
0: solution? Um, and really the answer to your question? I mean, it's uh, and I just to stipulate for listeners who are like, well, CNN has bad chirons too. Fine, we'll sure. have that, we'll have that argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I, I didn't even see the segment. Perhaps it yeah. was inc- incredibly no, no. Fair. But, but I think your
0: point is entirely right. It's sort of like with the Ukraine stuff, right? Where you talk to people who say, they're, you know, Joe Biden did what they're accusing Trump of doing. Yeah, that's not true. And uh, A, it's not true, but right, like- And I've seen you say that. Yeah, yeah. but let's stipulate that it is true. Say, like, okay, so the, and is, is that okay? And they're saying, no, it's outrageous what Biden did. I I like, okay, and what if Donald Trump did it too? Would that be better? No, 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 no. I mean, you can't have it both ways if either, either what Biden allegedly did, which I don't think, I agree with you, the facts don't support it, um, is bad. You can't say, well, they're accusing Trump of doing the same thing that, that Biden did and say that it's bad when Biden does it, but not when Trump does it. But that's sort of where we are. It's all this sort of tribal, you know, st- st- we're weaponizing standards just to hit the other side rather than like hold our own side accountable
1: Yeah, to. although I have to say, like my experience, because I am I am your age roughly, I'm a little
0: older. You're, n- you're n- ancient. I'm n- n- nine n- days <laughs> older.
1: Is, is is that, I mean, I, I came of age uh, and moved to Washington at a time when this was being done by the Democrats. Sure, when the Democrats were excusing Bill Clinton and everything he was doing, and when I say everything he was doing, I entirely mean the woman stuff. Right. There really was. I mean, I, I don't believe that he was wagging the dog. I don't believe, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm talking about like his personal behavior with women. The so campaign finance, some of
0: the Charlie Tree stuff was shady, but we—that's a different. Conversation.
1: I, you know what? I'm, I don't. I, I'm sure you're right, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fair, fair So, um, yes, I'm not absolving him of everything. Sure, I'm just sure. talking about the the excuses that were being made and having known Monica Lewinsky, I remember the first initial defenses of President Clinton were that she was making it up right that she was nuts right like uh, like people who worked at the White House saying that yeah uh, at parties and stuff and um you know I think that if she hadn't oddly enough kept that blue dress he'd be denying it to this day sure. probably so I'm familiar with it uh, and I was a Democrat in 1993 and I have been homeless as well mm-hmm. since then because like I didn't, first of all, I wasn't like aligned with everything that Democrats thought in terms of a lot of other things, but I was raised by a Democrat, I was raised by my fa- family and they were, they're were Democrats. But then since then it was just like, I don't, I don't stand for this and mm-hmm. I don't stand, I, don't, I didn't politically stand for everything the party stood for anyway. So yeah, I mean that homelessness is, is familiar. So. I... It's actually refreshing in a way. It's mm-hmm. actually liberating in a way, just in the same way that being politically agnostic as a profession, which I am, you are, you are not, even right. if you're homeless, is is that I don't. It's exhausting having to defend things that you don't believe. Yeah, right. No, no it
0: is. It really is. And you can see, it takes a toll on some people.
1: <laughs> you see, you see it, and well, I mean, and you and I have talked about this privately. We went off to name names now, but people who I used to respect, uh, left and right. Mm-hmm. Who have just either driven by blind Trump worship or blind Trump hatred, uh, and uh, you know have just lost their minds.
0: Yeah. So we're both um, um, kind of political junkies. Although, uh, unfortunately, this is just a podcast, so people can't see your office. Which is the official name, the Hall of Losers, or
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the theme. It's it is uh, it is. Uh, posters and ribbons uh, for people who ran for president and did not win Um, and uh, so I mean there's there's some random ones here there are some people who ended up winning so that right there the the bottom one is a Reagan 68 Uh and next to a Reagan 76 and that's uh, Nixon 60 so there are people who ultimately did win um, but uh, yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of losers Eldridge Cleaver Al Smith is the crown jewel. It's this huge banner. Yeah, um, that's a great one. I had, I bought this. Is, some of them are very like you. You enter this world of political collections, and you realize like how what's rare, what's not rare. Sure. And the, um, the Strom Thurmond Dixiecrat poster in 48, nice. which I have um, put a Dick Gregory poster on top of, just to, <laughs> just to make sure people know that I am not in support of yeah. segregation, um, uh, is, is there. And uh, somebody offered me a, a Kamala Harris one. I don't have any 2020 ones yet, but there's uh, Chris Christie who signed, and he was running for president when I got him to sign that jake born to run and i was thinking this po- this poor guy does not know that probably <laughs> prob- I, uh, probably
0: i'm going to hang this up there's hillary 2008 hillary 2016 yeah i would not if i were running for president i would not sign any posters to you <laughs> until i stopped running yeah um either santorum signed this one right here uh, good naturedly he brought it by
1: knowing what this office is dedicated to Did he really? and signed it uh
0: yeah. He won the Iowa, Iowa caucus. Nothing to be ashamed of. I, I'm, I'm sure there is not a shoeshine man between here <laughs> and, and and Maine he hasn't told that to. <laughs> um, I, have a, I have I have very mixed feelings about Rick Santorum because on the one hand, he kind of got Trumpism before everybody else. The,
1: not the lying uh, and the smearing part no, of but it, the, but the, the working class
0: conservative part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And that... Um, and he's he's a legitimately smart guy, yeah. But he exudes, the, and you don't have to like, cause you have to talk to these people. <laughs> uh, but he exudes almost like Squid Ink, this Charlie Brownish, the world has been unfair to me thing, <laughs> um, and uh, which is why I say that about the him telling all the shoe guys he won the Iowa caucuses. He he has this expectation of being a world historical figure, a little bit like Newt Gingrich, you know, where, uh, and that history has just wronged them by not delivering on their destiny in a little,
1: bit, a little, in a way. Um, but, I will just say this, I mean, I work with uh, Santormi, as a commentator here. I, I will just say this, that, that, um, you know, it is challenging to find people uh, you know, and CNN is is really in many ways alone in this because you don't you don't need to hire Trump supporters at Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are a bunch on the payroll uh, who anchor shows. Uh, there you, and MSNBC, as far as I can tell, doesn't have any real interest in having Trump supporters ever. Right. And like, I mean, look, the guy's president, and you know, runs the executive branch of government. And right. I don't have to convince you, but 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 there's so an argument but, to have someone representing his point of view. Well, I mean, he's going to win at least 40 percent of the vote, and he might. Get re-elected mm-hmm. i mean like you know it's just whatever it's it, and 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 what i look for when we have these panels uh which is basically six days a week now mm-hmm. um is somebody who will do it, but isn't going to defend the indefensible. Mm-hmm. You know, who, but isn't going to say. But sure, it's okay to say dem- Democrats love terrorists. Right. Uh, or sure, it's fine to lie. Or sure, it's. And the truth of the matter is, again, we've talked people like the like invasion of the body snatchers, like mm-hmm. at the when you realize that uh, Donald Sutherland has actually become a pod person. Like <laughs> there were times during the 2016 campaign when we would have unreasonable smart conservatives. Uh, Trump supporters, and then at some point, like during the the this year, they would say something, and I'm like, "Oh, we, lo- we lost him. Yeah, or we lost her. Like, well, you know, she's now just defending the indefensible." Um, and and Santorum, Urban, and Jennings are three people that I I book, um, because they don't. Yeah. They're smart. They have insight. They, you know, they're partisan. They support Trump. They're going to vote for him, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not going to defend the indefensible and I you know that anyway so that's my defense of Rick Santorum
0: sure no that's fine I, I, I didn't mean to pick on him and I forgot that he he's a contributor here I and mean, I, I like the guy it just um there he's is... got real skills he I does mean, he's a
1: smart guy. as he's... a Pennsylvanian I will say also and like um they're, they're, I have a real Pennsylvania bias you'll find I, I've, I've heard it <laughs> often <yeah. laughs> but, it's, but it's, I mean like you'll see it's evident in a
0: lot of your reporting <laughs> <laughs> but, but
1: but you'll see like there'll be a panel on my and there's like three of the panelists are from Pennsylvania um, <laughs> it's like Rick Santorum David urban you know congresswoman hoolihan whatever uh, and and uh, just but he, he's just a he's a fascinating figure yeah. and like um, and and uh, in, in Pennsylvania I'm, I'm saying within the realm of Pennsylvania politics uh-huh. because he was way more conservative than the state of Pennsylvania, than the Commonwealth right of Pennsylvania way more conservative but had that real ability he kept getting elected to the house from a Democratic district yeah Um, anyway so he you're right he was like he was way ahead uh, of Trump on that and in fact he tells some story about Trump claiming to have read his book but I don't know how much Trump actually read we can even his own books yeah much much
0: less Santorum I think that's probably right Um, Uh, Just because it occurred to me, I'm I'm sure you've been to the Union League Club in in, uh, Philly what the Union League Club in Philadelphia? No, is that for your book or whatever? Is that where you I gave a, a, a talk there and yeah. um, No, I have not. Oh, you should go. It's a really a unbelievably beautiful building. It's the first one in the country up until I don't know 30, 40 years ago, you had to be a Republican to be a member because was it's oh, well, it, it's, yeah. it's literally about, you know, Lincoln worship to a large degree and he saved the Union and it was and but um they have a great room in there where they have uh, portraits of every Republican president, like famous, beautiful portraits. And the guy asked me when I was there last year, he said, you know, who's missing? And I'm looking around and I figured out it was Calvin Coolidge. He mm-hmm. said, you know why is he missing? It's because Mike Pence has, has in his office hanging portraits of every Republican vice president who went on to become president. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And so it's on loan to him. Come on. Isn't that great? No. Yeah. No. It's a great little detail. And I've mentioned it on this podcast once before, and it's never had legs, and I keep waiting for it. That is huge. (laughs) <laughs> Huge. Next time you have pens on, ask him about it. Yeah, um, in,
1: in five years. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do a lot of interviews with uh, with me, but 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 he does come on sometimes. Uh-huh.
0: That is a fascinating. Isn't temperate. that interesting? So, oh,
1: my God. Have you confirmed it through the
0: VP's office? I have not. I have not. So, But this is what I was told, and everyone was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's what happened. And I'm probably getting in trouble with those guys for repeating it, but so yeah. be it. You know. Yeah, by the way, Calvin Coolidge is not exactly a guy to aspire to be. I mean, All right, well, now we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> oh, you are, you, na- are you a cool truther? Uh, I am a Coolidge truther. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin Coolidge was arguably the second best president of the Republican oh, Party. Oh,
1: my God. Well, I'll just, uh, you know what? I'm going to let you and Margaret Hoover debate this because uh, Margaret Hoover, as you know, uh, in addition to being a, a lovely and talented and the uh, host of uh, uh-huh. Firing Line, and also, a, I think she's a CNN contributor, is um, the. Granddaughter or great-granddaughter of, of Herbert Hoover. Of Herbert Hoover. Yeah. So I always say to her, I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't your grandfather. I know it was Calvin. Uh-huh. I know it was Coolidge. And that always endears uh, me to her.
0: See, that's, that's, that's what's, that's what political scientists call hot garbage. Because um, first of all, <laughs> how long had Hoover been in, in the White House when the Great Depression started? Like three minutes? Oh, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Hoover started the Great Depression. And I, I think that Hoover in some ways gets an unbelievably bad rap from, um, liberal historians, because the liberal historians have bought FDR's propaganda that Hoover did nothing to fight. the And depression. by the way, Hoover was a he, before he was president, he was one of the most impressive guys in the world. He was known as the great humanitarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saved more lives than any than all the other presidents combined in some ways. And um, but well, probably not more than FDR. No, no, no. I I don't mean as president. I mean yeah. like in the private oh, okay, life. Okay, you know, okay. like pre-presidential life. And um, but uh, Hoover. Thank you. Uh, all, huge chunks of the New Deal were basically just built upon things that Hoover had already started. And um, I'm of the club that Woodrow Wilson was the history's greatest monster and- I'm not gonna um, defend uh, Woodrow Wilson, his racism or his teeth. Fair enough, okay. <laughs> and it, you know, it, it was only after Wilson, after the Democrats were thrown out and we had a return to normalcy in the 1920s and in an incredible time of prosperity, that uh, the Republicans were the ones who let all the political prisoners out of jail, including, you know, um, Eugene V. Debs and all of that. It was Wilson, um, who was- I think t- I have a Debs poster somewhere. Debs, you know, Debs gets a- Isn't that, isn't that him up there? I can't tell in from this angle. It, it might. It's a Debs poster, it's a Debs
1: for President poster. Yeah, he, he was an honorable dude. Um, Speaking of Pennsylvania, by the way, there's Scranton and Schaap up there. Um, not just former governors of Pennsylvania.
0: Ran for president. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I don't... Do you know Yorty? We 72? were talking about this before, but the producer and I, um, it's like... The mayor of Los... The Republican mayor of Los Angeles.
0: Really? He ran for not... president in 72. In 72. Yeah. That's interesting. Because, like, I was saying to Caleb, um, like, I'm not a huge American politics, political history junkie, but it's part of my... Job to know all these things. It's rare i run across a name I don't recognize. I'm yeah. not saying I'll have to know the George entire story. Real,
1: he's real. obscure. Wardy is impressively obscure. Yeah, no, he's 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 an obscure one. Uh, the other, the other, one of the other famous uh, favorite details uh, is. Uh, so this is uh, Horace Greeley, uh-huh. in addition to saying Go West, young man, also was a presidential candidate. I think he lost to Lincoln, but, but I might be mistaken, or Grant. But um, what I love about this poster of him is his neck beard. It seems like he is, he just he shaved oh, every I, part of his body except for his, every part of his face and neck except, well, every part of his face, but
0: not his neck. So he just only grew the hair of his neck. Yeah, it's kind of like you shaved the face of an albino gorilla right but left the everything all the fur goes all the way down neck beard i i like it um that's a it's still a little
1: obscure thing um, we're gonna have to provide uh, links for people too. yeah
0: that's that's, that's caleb's to, job to sorry about that caleb <laughs> um, um all right,
1: so what TV shows were your favorite TV shows when you were growing up? Well, as you know from the, as you can tell from the $6 million lunchbox that a nice Twitter uh, follower sent me, uh, I was I was a big fan of the $6 million. I Man. was as well. And in fact thought that, uh, and this was in a time capsule that my, my grade school released, uh, thought that I was going to go on and become the replacement because in the mind of a seven-year-old, uh-huh. You know, well, obviously Lee Majors is going to have to retire at some point, Obviously. right? I mean, yeah. he's not—you know—he's not going to be young forever. But the, the concept of a TV show being canceled—right? Well, I was seven; yeah. I didn't know what a TV show being canceled was. So, you know, they're going to need a new guy in maybe 20 years, and, and
0: that would be—that be, would be me. Totally, <laughs> um, that would be me. I also had a bit of a crush on. Was it Lindsay Wagner, the Bionic Woman? Um, Yeah, sure. She she was near and dear to my heart. I mean, um, she was no Wonder Woman, but we don't need to go deep into that.
1: I Um, feel like this whole conversation is ultimately just leading to Bigfoot, which which I which fills me with trepidation because obviously there's a big uh, Bigfoot,
0: um, six million dollar man, Bionic uh, Woman. I I was hoping to do a. artistic segue into this because uh all right so uh longtime remnant listeners know that i our podcast has been smeared somewhat unfairly <laughs> with an association with bigfoot erotica
1: which which to be honest you say it's unfair uh-huh. but i did not know was a thing that even existed until i began uh-huh. Partaking of your journalism. Yeah,
0: I. Under, and I, appreciate I you that, might definitely. remember
1: when I texted you one time uh-huh. and said,
0: "John, you know, what what is Bigfoot erotica? <laughs> yeah. Like, what what do you? Why do you keep talking about what is this?" Okay, so the genesis of it was that I was talking. I believe I was talking to Andy Ferguson on the podcast, and we were. I can't remember the exact context, but it was basically the setup was we're talking about how it's a big country with people who have lots of diverse interests. <laughs> And I was like, for example, you know, some people are into Bigfoot erotica. And even though it was a podcast, listeners could see Andy's face drop in shock <laughs>
1: and, um... He didn't know it was a thing that existed either. He didn't know it was a, and How did big, you know it was a thing that existed? <sighs> I do not assume that you are actually a, a, a fan. I'm not a fan of Bigfoot erotica, although There are fans. There oh, God bless. There's I mean, one in Congress. Um, Congressman Riggleman? Rig- Riggles- Rigglesworth? R- Riggleman? Riggle- Riggleman I think it's Riggleman, yeah. He's a
0: freshman from Virginia. And apparently he got wrapped up in this Bigfoot erotica thing. And one of the problems I have is like on Twitter, people keep calling it Bigfoot porn. and It's, it's not. not it's, it's not erotica. It's, it's erotica. erotica. <laughs> you know, it's sort it's of like... written. That's right. First of all, it's written. And although the cover art is sometimes unpleasant. and We should
1: also uh, just note that this was brought up by his Democratic opponent. Yeah. Uh, uh, I forget her name, but her last name is Coburn. I forget her first name. Uh, because he, he, like, tried to write a Bigfoot erotica
0: book or something, right? Something. I don't know. Yeah. I think
1: he's tried to say, oh, this was just a gag between me and my friends. But there's uh-huh. more to it than that. Yeah. And I was always surprised that it didn't catch on more because it's just so bizarre. It's so fantastic. I mean, it's... it's, it's I mean, as good... I have to say, as good a hit as... Wine cave was uh, by Elizabeth Warren against Pete Buttigieg. Bigfoot erotica, I think, will last longer.
0: You would think, you know. And um, uh, we should backfill for listeners who don't know. Uh, Bigfoot, or as is is is, is, is his, his his birth name Sasquatch, was on Six Million Dollar Man, and actually kind of teamed up with the Bionic Woman. There was a great crossover episode or two, and the, and he was played by. Oh no! Uh, uh, um, oh boy. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It's right on the tip of my tongue. I feel like it was, um, it wasn't uh, Andre, the Giant, was it was it? Andre the Giant. It was Andre the Giant. It was Andre the Giant,
0: okay. Good. Andre the Giant played Bigfoot in... in Anybody in, want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> um, I met Andre the Giant, by the way. Oh, yeah? When I was May in sixth in grade on, on a school trip, and in sixth grade, and he was staying at the same hotel our class was, and when you shook his hand... I bet his hand was as big as your body. Yeah, it was just, it was, it, it was like you were... It, I, I, it, it was like you were an action figure shaking a human being's <laughs> hand kind of thing. Uh, Speaking
1: of action figures, so uh, I have also um, the $6 million man action figure that I had growing up. Uh-huh. in my study at home.
0: That had the lens in the back yeah, so you could, you could look could through look, its exactly, eye. And yeah, one yeah. of its
1: arms. <laughs> um, but it is one of these things that your wife says you have it and it says why why do you have this yeah. and when i don't i assume you saw the 40-year-old virgin there is a scene where somebody <laughs> is making fun of steve carell's collection yeah. of toys um and says, I think it's Seth Rogen. Says like, is that an Oscar Goldman? <laughs> 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 he has an Oscar Goldman doll. Oscar Goldman is the doctor from. Uh, no, 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 no. No he's, no, no. he's the he's the head of. He's the his agent. handler kind of he's thing. He's the head he, of the agency. Whatever that's right. agency Steve Austin, that's the Six Million Dollar right. Man, works for. Uh, doctor Rudy Wells was the doctor. I apologize. That's right. That's right.
0: Um, I uh, I got to say though, like the moment it was pointed out to me. The whole thing about Six Million Dollar Man went down a couple grades because I always thought it was like believable. Yeah, as a kid, it's pretty. Why not? And then someone pointed out to me the physics of the Bionic Man, and the thing is. I don't care how strong your super bionic arm is. Yeah. If you try to lift up a car, the super strong arm will just be ripped out of your flesh and blood shoulder oh, socket. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, um, that's, it's a I'm problem. I'm glad that
1: I didn't have my. And you know what? And my grandfather, um, may he rest in peace, was a physicist, and he never told me that. So, oh, good. Okay. So I'm glad this. Is, you're right. It's true. Oh, other shows, by the way, just because you asked, um, I was a fan of the whole Happy Days lineup. Of course, mainly Happy Days, but, um, and it's actually I got to uh, I've met and become friendly with uh, Henry. Winkler, and he cool. is about as unlike uh, the Fonz, Arthur Fonzarelli, as a, a man who could you know, he just like this totally nice, menschy guy.
0: It was one of the most fascinating sort of Jedi mind treks of pop culture of our childhoods that this nebbishy little Jewish dude pulled <laughs> yeah. off being like this like Italian gangster. <laughs> and it's a
1: total sex symbol, right? Yeah. I mean, um, and I also, do you, do you remember the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew hour? I remember that was on. I was never... Parker Stevenson and Sean Cassidy yeah, played yeah, yeah, the Hardy okay, Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were, uh,
0: that, was, that was good. I liked a good mystery. Do you remember, I so said this happened in my school. You didn't, you were born in New York but you grew up in grew Philly. Grew up in Philly. yeah. yeah. So in my school, so there was an episode of Happy Days where um, Richie Cunningham I think had a cousin who had very low self-esteem, hmm. and as opposed to his brother Chuck, who was just written off the show. Yeah, who just basically was disappeared yeah. in some CIA program, yeah. um, and uh, the the they they realized he had fast hands because he could catch a fly. And so they figured out how to get him in the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest hands by doing this thing where he would balance a stack of pennies a stack of, uh, yeah, on his the, on, yeah. elbow and then flip his arm down and catch I it. I remember that, yeah. For the next week at Road of Sholem Day School. Sure,
1: I remember t- doing that.
0: everybody was oh, doing yeah, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I misremembered it because I thought that Scott Bayo, as Chachi Arcola uh-huh. did it on the show. I don't think he, that. No, 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 you're right. Yeah. You're right. And by the way, I should also point out just as uh, this is an opportunity to to clear the air, Scott Bayo has blocked me on Twitter, and I, I, really? and, I and I don't know why. And uh-huh. I, I, he, I remember he he was attacking George Clooney uh-huh. for not having uh, uh, migrants come into Syri- uh, Syrian migrants come into his gated home, uh-huh. and I politely pointed out that I didn't think that the, the it was that was a logical argument uh-huh. to make, and he blocked me. And uh,
0: I, don't, I guess I can't say I'm really missing out on on it, but as long as we, I for one will not sit here and listen to you impugn the. <laughs> intellectual honesty of Scott Bayo although I have to say I was a big Charles in charge fan um, were you really yeah I was I partly because of his girlfriend on the show but um. there, there have been a lot of serious allegations made
1: uh, about uh, Bayo by I believe is her name Nicole Eggert yeah yeah yeah
0: Oh, don't, don't tell me that. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I mean, not, not that I'm disappointed in Scott Bayo. I have no, no emotional investment. I just, I want Nicole Eggert to be a happy person because I had a think Who for
1: Who would her. not want her to be a happy person, yeah. whether on Charles and Charge or Baywatch? Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you can Google it and find out more um, But it it may be like
0: Bigfoot erotica that you don't want to know You don't want to know
1: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm ruining Charles in Charge and you're ruining the $6 million man. Uh, It's kind of like a mutually assured destruction. It's fair. It's fair.
0: All right. So uh, you wrote um, a fairly widely praised novel, uh, which came out around the same time as my book, called The Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club, yeah. And so you're, and it's set in 1954?
1: 1954, Washington, D.C., a thriller that takes place. A young Republican congressman and his wife come to Washington and they, are you know they? It, it's there's intrigue, but it's also about McCarthyism and that era. Uh-huh. So, so um, I'm actually surprised that politically more people didn't make anything of the fact that I, it has to be the first mainstream detective uh, thriller novel in which the hero is a Republican congressman. I mean, like I mean, possibly. I, I, although he was an Eisenhower Republican, so maybe that just doesn't count anymore. Um, so.
0: Give me your just because it's uh I, I like many National Review conservatives, and I still consider myself one even though I'm no longer there. Um Do you still have a byline there every now and then though. Yeah, don't they, they run my syndicated column. Yeah. Okay. And I and, and I'm part of the National Review Institute and whatever. And I you know, like I'm I'm still friends with the guys and yeah. all that. Um but uh um I have complicated views about the McCarthy era
1: because um, there were actually communists in
0: the government. Because There were communists in the right. government, right? So it was there was a lot of witch hunting going on, a lot of unfair witch hunting going a on, a lot of smearing. But there were also some witches. Right? Well,
1: no, absolutely, and then and the and the, the, the Hellfire Club makes that clear yeah. that, that, that there were actually communists in the government, and there were a bunch of you know it, it's it's not um, he wasn't wrong about the fact that there was something that needed to be looked into and there were investigations that needed to be done and that
0: there were guilty people and all that. Um, yeah.
1: But, you know, he also made up a lot of stuff and smeared a lot of innocent people.
0: Oh, you know, So I mean, I, I've come to the position, I used to be much more pugnacious about it and say, you know, McCarthy's tactics were bad, but he was right. I don't go that far anymore. No, he wasn't right. I mean, he made he, stuff up. He, he, he lied a lot and he yeah. was a bully and and a drunk and um, and there were a lot more I didn't appreciate when I first started writing about this stuff. There were a lot more conservatives who were deeply troubled by McCarthy and McCarthyism than certainly the sort of Hollywood, popular journalism sort of mythmaking about the era. I mean, there were a lot of, you know, Bill Buckley famously defended McCarthy. Irving Kristol did a half-hearted thing, but there were a lot of people like Russell Kirk and these others who. Who were anti-communist, but they didn't like the populism. They didn't like the demagoguery. They didn't like what it was saying about the smear. George
1: Marshall. Yeah, you know, he smeared a a World War II general and the architect of peace and prosperity in Europe. After, I mean, he he was um, the ear. I wrote the book. I started writing this book uh, long before Donald Trump. Yeah but there you know there are, that era you know they say history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes mm-hmm. and th- there's a lot of rhyming because there is there are a lot of people in this town and again I'm not comparing Trump and McCarthy I mean obviously there are similarities in terms of the populism in terms of the demagoguery in terms of just like making stuff up but the other, the, the way it's most resonant to me, they're obviously very different in a lot of different ways. McCarthy was just a senator, blah, blah, blah. But w- one of the things that's most interesting to me is, as you note, there were a lot of Republicans who didn't like what he was doing, but what did they do about it? Right. Some of them did something about it, some of them spoke about it, but a lot of them didn't. A lot of them, um, uh, Taft is somebody I think about all the time. Mm-hmm. Robert Taft, Senator from Ohio, Mr. Republican, Mr. Conservative, uh, lost Eisenhower for president in 52, but but he was a Senate majority leader, and he thought he could run again someday after right. Eisen, the Eisenhower uh, presidency was over, and he, he tried to have a foot in both worlds, which I think you see a lot of Republicans doing, although increasingly they have just taken it out of the world of the real people and put it entirely in Trump land, but... Um, the like rubio and cruz for mm-hmm. example um but taft would say to people like he would say to reporters like why are you covering him Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are you giving him such credibility? Uh, and then, by the way, there's, the media is to blame for a lot of McCarthyism, too. Absolutely. Um, and
0: the media is to blame for a lot of Trump. Trumpism. No, I mean, that's what I mean. In 2015, Trump yeah. got a lot. In 2016, Trump got a lot of coverage because sure. he was compelling copy. Yeah,
1: and, and people would just, like, print his lies without pushing back or just, like, run the, run the rallies yeah. with, with no commentary or fact-checking, etc. But in any case, it, 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 I think about the Trump... I think about the McCarthy era all the time when it comes to um, how Republicans are uh, dealing with it because uh, history doesn't remember them very well. Like Robert Taft yeah. thought, okay, well, he, you know, I, I can, tr- you know, just I can try to finesse this, mm-hmm. and like I can denim him when I think he's gone too far, but like also he's right that there are communists in the government, and he's not wrong about everything. Blah 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 and then Taft Senate majority leader dropped dead yeah in 53 and he didn't even get to vote to censure right. McCarthy. And now, one of the major parts of his legacy, as much as his descendants would would not like it to be, one of the major parts of his legacy is that he was complicit in McCarthyism. He was the Republican Senate Majority Leader. He could have done more about it. He could have take he could have censured him four years before. Sure. Uh, and and uh, Susan Collins' uh, predecessor, uh, Margaret J. Smith, in 1950, Republican from Maine. And, you know, I feel like you always have to say, and she was a real conservative. She was a real conservative just because she was a woman and from Maine. She was a real conservative. Maine was much more conservative back then, too. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, like, I mean, she... she, Anyway, she was a real conservative in 1950 when she goes to the floor of the Senate, gives the Declaration of Conscience speech. And, you know, Murrow
0: didn't go after McCarthy until 54. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like the the Clooney movie is... Got its timeline all messed up. That somehow like it was Murrow who destroyed McCarthy. McCarthy was a wounded beast by '54. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. He
0: he started the
1: year. He was still he still had like 50% approval. Uh, and then he ended the year censured and and a disgrace. Yeah. But but, but yes, he was wound he was wounded. '52. Jack Anderson writes a biography of of McCarthy that is, in retrospect, unbelievably bold. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I read it cover to cover when I was researching for the Hellfire Club, and one of the most interesting things is, so I'm reading about it, and there's a guy in it named Urban Van Mm Susteren, who is uh, McCarthy's campaign manager, and he is talking exactly the way that Trump people talk about Trump. Or talked about Trump in 50, in um 52, in uh 16. Mm -hmm. What do you think he's going to do as president? He's going to come down and say, let's sit down and shoot the shit, and you know whatever. And you know he's going to tell these diplomats what for, and tell the you know, and all that. And it's this little speech by Urban Van Susteren that I put in my novel, except Mm -hmm. I attributed to Roy Cohn, uh, and there's a disclosure at the back, but you're wondering about the name Van Susteren. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was Greta's dad.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I and I'm reading all this stuff and one of the fun things about doing something like this and being in a position where I can like reach out to actual people who know and say, "Are you related to her? Yeah, her dad." And then you can go online and you can find Greta St. Van Susteren's parents wedding picture and Joe McCarthy's the best
0: man. <laughs> the best man. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um no look I I I've written about it. I I think that there's, again, it's rhyming, it's echoing, similarities uh, to the McCarthyism stuff. I got into a huge fight with Conrad Black about this because this Oh, is, he's the worst. This was back when he was still, you know, auditioning. Sane. Well, uh, no, auditioning for his pardon. And mm. so every single week he wrote another, you know, hagiography kind of thing. But... Um, but it's exactly like um, the former governor of uh, Illinois who's in prison,
1: Blagojevich. Blagojevich, yeah. These people do these blatant butt-kissing op-eds and to try to get pardoned. You know, the Blagojevich is trying it now. But
0: it works. <laughs> a, a, it works,
1: but B, like... I, I in, in a way, I almost give credit to Blagojevich, who I think is still in prison, right? I think so. Um, not credit, but I understand why he's doing it. Conrad Black has already done his time. He's out now. He's just trying to get his name cleared or whatever, but... I, I don't know, it just it, I, I've never seen more examples of fealty and obsequiousness by people who think that they're being bold and daring.
0: Yeah, so I, I think the, the, the part of the similarity of the McCarthy period is that what, and Ron Brownstein I think first made this point, is that Trump has been behaving since the beginning as a wartime president, but the wartime enemy for the most part isn't ISIS or you know even Iran it's the domestic political opposition and it's people who don't support him right and and so that makes it possible for him to 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 hurl charges of treason all the time at people just because they you know the the political enemy domestically and that was the component of mccarthyism i mean obviously at least under mccarthyism you we're charging people of being, in effect, loyal to a foreign power. There is no foreign power in the stuff that we see with the, the the domestic stuff today under Trumpism. It's just, you know, people who disagree with us are bad, right? And they want to do terrible things and destroy the country. And, um, but the the sort of constant sort of argument by innuendo, the the smearing of people, the um, the technical word for it, I believe, is apophasis, where you say, "I'm not going to bring up that you sleep with goats," <laughs> and you know, but you like by bringing it, by saying you're not going to bring it up, you're bringing it up. You know, Trump does that all the time, which like is a, Doug Collins' apology today. It's a very I'm McCarthy I'm sorry, I, think. I said that Democrats love terrorists. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know he apologized. Um, it was an interesting apology. It was. He apologized. He said he sorry. He said it. He apologizes, and then the next four tweets were about his service in
0: Iraq. Yeah. Oh. So uh, I don't know what one has to do with the other. Yeah, Well, um, Fortunately, Doug Collins is not a lot of people's moral or intellectual load star. Um, I know we're going long here, so... Um I was trying to remember what other... You're making a point about Conrad Black talking about. Oh, yeah, but Conrad Black was outraged at this idea that, that, that there was any similarity between Trump and McCarthy, and... Oh, my God, it's like the
1: most... It is the most apt comparison that there is of all that... Like, Trump is not Nixon. Right. McCarthy. Yeah. It's, ex- I mean, it is the historical, and there is an
0: even connective tissue. Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn. absolutely. Is the connective tissue, yeah. period. Yeah. But also the, I'm, I'm still more interested in the ism rather than the person part of it. You oh, know I'm what? only talking about the ism. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but my point is, is that there were forces on the ground. There were, there were, there were political factors among, that gave rise, that go back to World War I in terms of like, how Germans in the Midwest um, felt so wronged legitimately by you know, the Wilson administration. There was this this really weird, you know, people forget that the Republican Party in Wisconsin was a little Follett, progressive Republican yeah. Party, yeah. and it was wildly anti-communist, and it was really, um, had and it was really progressive on a lot of, you know, uh, sort of economic stuff and all the rest. And that's the, that's the, republicanism that McCarthy came out of. I think his first race was actually to be a Democrat for a judgeship in in Wisconsin, and he won his first race with the support of
1: communists. The, you got you got to read this Jack Anderson book. Um, I, I'll lend you a copy if you can't find it on Abe Books, but um, the used bookstore. Uh huh. He won his first race with the support of communists. He went looking for their support. Is that right? That's yeah. interesting. He has he had he he that's why I say trumpism uh, is is more like a mccarthyism than nixonism or whatever because it's it's almost ideologically untethered. Right. It's just about power and popularity
0: right no i I think that's right and 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 there's something going on in the animal spirits in the culture that makes it possible trump trump ran for president before and went nowhere there's something going on in america that makes it possible for him to do it yeah um are you what do you
1: we don't the the end of the trump era the trump the end of the trump presidency i should say will come either in 21 or 25 so you know presumably god bless we'll both be alive and we'll see it Are what are you worried about as a conservative and as a political junkie about what comes next if you don't mind me asking you sure, a question, no, no, what, not... what are you worried about um about the party that i assume are you a republican uh ish I, I, When I vote, I typically vote for Republicans. Um, what are you worried about that will be, like obviously there's probably parts of Trumpism that you don't mind or even you like you're, in terms of some policies or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, I should, well, not Trumpism, but like of the Trump administration, there are lots of things, that, I mean, I, I think basically I want to know a lot more about what went into the decision, but I think killing Soleimani was not a terrible thing as a, a matter of a Yeah. Um, I like most of the judges he appoints, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge the transactional argument for Trump. And um, what are you worried about? But what, what I worry about yeah. is that pretty much the. In, is I'm. I've always taken a lot of pride in calling myself a conservative. never much cared about calling myself a Republican, right? For me, being a Republican is a prudential thing. It's the more conservative of the two parties. Therefore, by default, I don't work. Never lived anywhere. My vote wasn't canceled out, at least nine to one. So I never really care much about voting. And my job is to tell the truth, regardless of, you know, not to be a team player or a cheerleader for a party um, and at least tell the truth as I see it. And what worries me is, among other things, that there are so many forces on the the right that have, for a number of reasons that predate Trump, structural reasons and other things, have um, decided that they have to make, um, they have to bend all of their principles to... Fit Trump, right? So rather than say here's so like, so
1: like Nikki Haley, what she said that earlier this week. So Nikki Haley said uh, that the only people mourning Soleimani are Democrats and Democratic leaders. Yeah,
0: I think what Nikki said was incorrect and sort of sad. And I was um, stunned. Yeah, I think it was a mistake. And I was just listeners know this, but you may not remember this. My wife works for Nikki Haley. Oh, okay. Um, and I didn't know that. I'm yeah, saying. no, that's fine. And um, I have a lot of respect for Nikki Haley. Yeah, no, I I was, look
1: at, that, that's why I was surprised. Yeah,
0: no, I it was it was just a mistake. I, I mean, I. I, I it I don't want to minimize it. I'm not saying it was like she stubbed her toe, but like I think it, w- it was a, a, a an error for her brand. It was a, it was incorrect on the facts. At the dispatch, we did a fact check on it. It just wasn't fair or correct. Um, and I think that her handling of her post UN ambassadorship um, has not been. What I would want it to be. I mean, I have to be a little diplomatic here, and I'm being right. full disclosure. But so what I. But so what has happened was, it, you know, most conservatives you talk to off air. Right is uh, they will make the transactional case for Trump, sure. including some of the people who are like Baghdad Bob's on air, and then off air they're like, "Oh man, I wish he wouldn't tweet," or oh, "He's really making my life complicated." And no, I have this. this I'm sure you experience a great <laughs> deal of this, this was yeah.
1: especially. I mean, not just. I mean, with with elected officials too. I mean, oh, know.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we've in launching the Dispatch, we've met with a lot of senators and congressmen, and it's. It is fascinating, the disconnect between what they say when the cameras are on and the cameras are off. But what worries me is that, so you're not allowed to make the pragmatic transactional argument for Trump, he's better than Warren, all that kind of stuff. You have to make, in part because Trump does not, Trump has this insatiable desire and hunger for praise. And the only way you can get him to do things is through praise in in traditional, I mean, you know this stuff as well as I do, but in traditional politics, the way a senator gets a president to do something is that he criticizes him when he does the wrong thing and he praises him when he does the right thing. Right. You're not allowed to criticize him when he does the wrong thing. And so it's like having a car that only turns left, you know, <laughs> and you can't calibrate anything. And so what worries me is that in the more intellectual sphere about what conservatism means, we've in effect taken the... Yardstick, which is supposed to be an independent objective standard and shaved it to match Trump's height, right? And so instead of saying he doesn't live up to the standard, we are now changing the standards to fit him. And I don't know that conservatism as I understand it uh, can survive that. And some of this, look, there's some good faith intellectual efforts by people to sort of come up with a new economic understanding because they think globalism and automation are creating real problems. But a lot of it is just simply Um, nationalism is the idea whose time has come and our comrade Trump is the leader of this and they're selling off so much of their credibility to sort of bend what conservatism means to fit the man and fit the moment that I don't know that there's much of an... Part of the problem is, conservatism has always been unpopular. It is unpopular to tell people that we should have a balanced budget and that we, you're not going to get this check. It, right. is, it, is, it is unpopular to tell people that just because it feels good, you shouldn't do it. You know, I mean, there are all these sort of just basic conservative things that are pretty eat your spinachy. And because we live in a moment where both the left and the right... Um, are, they're both downstream of the culture and no one wants to be told anything that they don't want to hear. So can I just say one observation,
1: which is, uh, you know, I, I find your insights to this uh, fascinating as always. One of the things that I think is is also discouraging just as, and I know that conservatives think I'm liberal and I know that liberals think I'm conservative and all I can tell you is like I really do my best to be as agnostic about this stuff as possible. and. Um, people with short memories don't remember that for eight years of the Obama administration, like I was praised by Rush Limbaugh and praised by sure. Mark Levin and all these people, you know, whatever. And now, of course, I'm.
0: They used to praise me too. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> for you, you, you know the yeah. feeling. Yeah. You know the
1: feeling. So, um, all I can say is, it's it's even weirder than they've shaved the standards, because it's I I think it's almost in some ways it's just they've just thrown out the standards. Yeah. No, and I, and I and, 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 the, and the reason why I say that is because. We live now in a world where Donald Trump, who is obese, okay? He's obese. He's I mean, just like as a medical definition, mm-hmm. he weighs... I mean, you can argue that the definition is a little unforgiving for most Americans because sure. I think like 50% of the American people are obese according to the, the metrics, but whatever. He's overweight, okay? And he criticizes Adam Schiff for how he looks. hmm for being skinny, calls him pencil neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adam Schiff, whatever you think of Adam Schiff, okay. And I get a lot of people think he's partisan. A lot of people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's he lost a lot of weight. He, like he like went through a period where he get way too much, and now he's in shape. And like the, I, I don't care that he makes fun of Adam Schiff's neck. What's weird to me is the delusion. That one has to have to think that Donald Trump has any ground to make fun of Adam Schiff's neck, because Donald Trump is out of shape. He just is. I mean, sure. I, I I don't I don't mean it as a personal criticism. He he's overweight. Mm-hmm. He he's you know, um, just as a factual matter. I saw Donald Trump Jr. tweet something the other day. Some story written by some victim of Jeffrey Epstein um, about Bill Clinton on the plane uh, and it was just a photo fo- she had photographs of Bill Clinton on, on and like buried deep in the story I'm like wow I, and I buried deep in the story because it was like a British tabloid I think it was at the Daily Mail or something buried it deep in the story that's like you know she's like he was a perfect gentleman blah 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 look I'm I'm you know it's not hard to imagine Bill Clinton doing all sorts of hard mm-hmm. you know uh, things that Aren't commendable. You know, pedophilia is a really strong leap, but Mm -hmm. but Donald Trump Jr. retweeting this with no apparent awareness, acknowledgement that there is video of Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein hanging out, dancing, models around them. Sure. Um, Again, same thing with Donald Trump. Like, I have no idea. And let's just assume the best about both presidents, right? They neither of them did anything untoward, but like. You could make allegations and insinuations about Bill Clinton. You can make them about Donald Trump. I'm a journalist. I'm not making any allegations about any of them. But, like, if my dad, <laughs> if there were videos of my dad dancing with Jeffrey Epstein and, like, you know, whatever, I wouldn't be, like, tweeting
0: stuff about other people doing it. Yeah, you know so, so this is what I was getting at with. Um, and by the way, my dad would never do that this is sort of we're getting at it, about how all the standards have been weaponized right yeah. it's like you know when Don Jr. says but they're no standard that's my point well no see but I don't think that's right I think it's that there everyone thinks that their team is um exempt from the standards that they want to hold the other side to, right? But that's mean. That's what I mean. So in, in a technical way, you're absolutely right that it means the standards are meaningless, right? If the there are no standards, yeah, if you a, don't apply them to yourself, right? But but that's that's the exact time that we're in. It'd be one thing to say no one out there is making the Nietzschean argument that because of the genealogy of morals that all of these standards are arbitrary and BS and that nothing matters and everything is permitted and is forbidden to forbid. No one's making that argument. <laughs> what they're all saying is. These standards are very, very important for the other team exactly. to live up to. Right. right. And so, like Mike Pence, I mean, you listen to Mike Pence and he'll say how deeply disappointed he is that the Democrats, you know, violated constitutional norms right. or whatever. And he does that sort of sad sack kind of thing. Or, like, uh, Kevin McCarthy this week talking about, I never thought I'd live to see the day the Democrats would do it. They want to hold the other side completely accountable to these standards of decency and normality and morality and all these kinds of things and think that their own side is immune right. to the same standard and that's what I mean by weaponizing them though is that if you're just the listener and you only tuned in to watch you know uh, or the, you're in the audience and you only tuned in to watch the soundbite you might not know that the you know like when Hunter Biden says with a straight face, with no fear of some lightning bolt hitting him, I wish I had a famous father and a famous name like Hunter Biden that I can make oh, a lot you of mean money. Oh when Donald also. Trump Jr. says it. Yeah, when Donald Trump Jr. says, See, I wish this I had. Is, this yeah, is, this I had is a the he, problem. He, he yeah. literally said it. You know, yeah. like I wish I had a famous no, wait, father. No, Donald Trump
1: and Jr. and Eric Trump. Well, I don't know about Eric. Donald Trump Jr. talks up that. In, in a way, such as he thinks that he has the job he has
0: on merit, on merit, yeah, 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 no, I know, and and this is, I think, but it, it, this, the point I'm making about how they weaponize the standards, that's why people, I think we
1: agree on this, what it is. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just saying there are no standards, you're saying they're weaponizing them by making them only apply to the other yeah, side, yeah, but
0: but but, but I, I think my version of it is why we feel everyone keeps talking about gaslighting. Yeah. Right, because you'll hear Trump call someone else a liar, and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> but it's
1: not just Trump, that's the thing. Oh, right? I agree, it's contagious. He's,
0: he's, he, no, he's got, right.
1: Yeah. It's, it, the, the infection has set in, and you have Senate, look, at, did Adam Schiff say some things that were not true, and should he be dinged for them? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%, up. yeah. A hundred percent, but yep. the idea that Kevin McCarthy is so offended by one thing, that a house chairman said,
0: yeah, and not the, whatever, 15,000 lies. And that's why people feel like they're taking crazy pills all the time, and that's why this podcast is called The Remnant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you have a person over your shoulder saying, wrap it up. We so gotta wrap
1: it up. I do have a show to put on. Yeah. Okay, and that's so, fair.
0: Um, th- this is so much fun. Thank you for doing it. I hope you'll come on again. Of course, anytime. Yeah. great. This was a lot of fun. All right, Jake Tapper, thank you for The Remnant, for The Dispatch, and all the rest. Uh, this was fun.